You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.weareredwood.org. We pray that the message that you're about to listen to will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Children, you may be dismissed at this time. And worship team, welcome back from vacation. We missed you all last week. Sir Florendo, you did a great job last week back there on the piano. In 20 years, I learned today, uh, you've been serving this church on the piano for 20 years. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you for your faithfulness, and uh, we, we are very, very, very appreciative of that and uh, all of their ministry to our church. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Mark chapter number 8. Mark chapter number 8. Happy New Year, Happy New Decade, and when Pastor Mike was talking about an hour and a half message, I was like, no, don't say that, and then, you know, me, I I had to look it up, so I went online, I know I was supposed to be worshiping, and I went online, and those are all of his messages, they're about an hour and eight minutes, okay, hour and eight minutes, are you cool if I go that long this morning, hour and eight minutes, a couple of you, appreciate that, no, but I... Uh, I will echo what, uh, what Mike said in that it is every bit worth every minute uh, of our revival that, uh, that you will come to. I don't normally do this, but allow me to do it. We will spend hours watching a game, staying up extremely late, and missing sleep for whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a sporting event for you, but it could be something else. And I want to, rec- I, I, I want to highly encourage you uh, to be uh, that way uh, with our revival. I'm not trying to, in a sense, guilt you into it. You know me well enough. That's not how I, how I work. But it's certainly to bring about a consideration of sometimes what we're willing to do uh, for our own enjoyment. And I think you ought to do that for your own enjoyment. I think those are things like you do that. You go without sleep for things. Absolutely. I'm telling you, this is of, of utmost importance as well to be a part of our winter revival with John Van Gelderen. I promise you it'll be a blessing. One of the messages was only 39 minutes, so there you go. Couldn't all be an hour and a half, so praise the Lord for that. All right, Mark chapter number 8. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1 of our... Of our text, we've been in our series uh, entitled Jesus from the book of Mark, and we're going to continue through uh, in chapter in, in 2020. And uh, it's, so, it's so crazy to think about what I've entitled the message. And the title of the message is, Are We Seeing Clearly? Are We Seeing Clearly? And it's funny because I told myself I wasn't going to make any you know, 2020 vision comments or anything like that. Okay, you know, are you seeing clearly? But it's unique how the Lord just kind of timed things uh, here uh, this morning. But as I read the text, can you do two things at once? I think you can. Hey, it's a new year, a new decade. We can do two things at once. And here's what I want you to be thinking about while we're reading the text. So two things at once, and that's this. If someone were to ask you to make a list, maybe three, four, five, whatever, the top, most serious effects or results of sin, what would you put on your list? And I want to give you time to think about that. If someone were to say, hey, give me the, give me the top three, four, five results or the effects of sin, 
in maybe your life and just or in general what that would be. And so let's look in, in our text and try to be thinking of that in your mind as well as uh, in our, our verses here. Uh, it says in verse number one, in those days the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse of them came from far, many of them. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break, and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes. And he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. This morning's text will bring us down further than that, uh, but for the sake of time this morning, I will stop there and preach a message entitled simply this question, Are We Seeing Clearly? Are we seeing clearly? Let's pray. Father, we come before You and we are thankful that we have the Word of God laid out before us. Whether that's digitally in the society in which we live in, which is so helpful, or a, just a, a written form of it uh, in form of a, a, of a Bible in front of us. We're so thankful that we have that. We're so thankful that we have spelled out through the human instruments of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through these men, these disciples, the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And particularly this morning, Mark's story or telling of the story of another day or so in the life of Jesus and how we can glean from it. And I pray this morning that God, we would, that we would see what You desire for us to see. Lord, I pray for those that have maybe uh, worked many, many hours the last several days, that God, You would, uh, with just anointing spiritual power, would keep us alert, God, to the text in front of us. And Lord, I pray that as we've embarked on this new year, we've embarked on this new decade, that it truly would be a year where we are seeing what You desire for us to see. We'll glorify You with all that is said and done this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder what you put on your list. Three, four, five of the top um, effects or the results of sin. And as you thought about that, I want you to kind of want you to kind of ponder that. On my list, surely, would be what is called spiritual blindness. It is a devastating effect that Scripture tells us that comes about because of sin. God has created human beings, all of us, with two with two sets of eyes or two sets of vision systems, if you will allow me to say it. There are your physical eyes, that which you can obviously see physical things, and you uh, enjoy that. You see the beauty of all the things around us, and uh, we happened to kind of head over to Half Moon Bay on New Year's Day. We kind of had our sleepy morning after uh, staying up all, well, it kind of felt like all night, um, and so normally, normally I sleep that puppy in, but I now have a 13-year-old in my home, and she's like, I want to stay up. And I'm like, 
why? And I remember those days, okay, you know, when I wanted to usher in the new year as well. But so we kind of had our sleepy morning. We went off to Half Moon Bay, and it was an overcast, cloudy day. But I'm telling you what, the waves were massive on New Year's Day. I mean, just huge. And I got recordings of it, and they were crashing on the rocks. And so God's given us our, our physical eyes to see physical things and the beauty with which God has created us with. But then also, you have spiritual eyes. Or the eyes of the heart. So you can perceive spiritual things. It's not so much always that you can see them, but it's more of a perception of spiritual things. And so God created you that way with a physical eye as well as a spiritual eye or the eyes of the heart of of kind of who you are. But sin, sin blinds us. And I want you to follow the statement, sin so fundamentally blinds us that it blinds us to our blindness. You follow that? Sin so fundamentally blinds us that we become blind to the fact that we are living at times blindly. And this passage really is about this dynamic of spiritual blindness. In fact, there are really two kinds of spiritual blindness that are played out in this passage. And we're going to look at really just the first one uh, here this morning. And I want to lay out for you how this, how this passage works. You have four sections. If you kind of go down through chapter number 8 to uh, probably the mid to 820s of, uh, of, the, uh, of the chapter is kind of this idea of of, of spiritual sight or spiritual blindness that might be. But it's a rather lengthy passage, and so um, rather than just cram it all into one week, I desire to kind of uh, attack it over two weeks. And so the first section of this, uh, of this passage is the feeding of the 4,000, but it really is a, it's a setup event. And it kind of sets up the middle two sections, and then you have a fourth section, which is going to kind of connect it all together. And in those two middle sections really are all about spiritual blindness. And so once again, as we've been going verse by verse through Mark, we have Christ. He's being followed by a crowd. It's so often His um, kind of daily nature, as at least as you read it from Mark's perspective. And the crowd seems, unlike other crowds, they're actually hungry to learn. They're they're, they're wanting the teaching. They're, they're, they're wanting the preaching. They've been now with Jesus Christ for three days. And so you have one of these, another amazing miracle laid before us in the feeding of the crowd. Now we know this is not just a repeat rendition of what took place earlier in the book when Jesus Christ fed 5,000 because the number is different. But also, there's things that Christ says later that makes it very clear that this is indeed a second feeding. This is a second group. Um, the first time was 5,000 plus when you consider the, uh, the women and the children that would have been there. And then Mark indicates that this one would have been a feeding of 4,000. And it is very important that you and I understand that Mark what Mark emphasizes in this miracle. And again, it is this amazing compassion for what we would consider the incidental needs, so to speak, of the crowd. 
kind of, and then you see in this text once again the unpreparedness for the disciples for this moment. Let's begin to read it again, verse number two that should be up on the screen now. I have compassion on the multitude. This huge group has been there with him. And Jesus says, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for diverse are them came from far. This is the Creator. This is the Savior of the world caring once again for the needs of the people. He hears all of the needs of those who are following Him and who seek Him. And I want you to think about this. I brought this up several months ago, but think about this. In the scheme of Christ's redemptive plan, the whole reason why He came, this seems so small. The hunger of individuals versus the redemptive, you know, where He's orchestrating human events to bring about the cross to where He can then substitutionarily die for the sins of mankind. The hunger of this group seems so small compared to that. But Jesus cares about their needs. God is the creator of your life. And He knows exactly how your life operates. God knows that you and I operate in the ultimately mundane, small, moment by moment, not the big grander. I realize we've gone into a new year. We've gone into a new decade and how big and awesome that sounds. But really, you know what your new year is going to consist of? You know what your, your new decade is going to consist of? Minute, mundane, detail by detail, minute by minute, day by day, month by month, and then ultimately year by year. And I want to tell you that Jesus cares about those minutes. Those seconds. Those moment by moment issues and cares of your world. We live in the mundane, and that mundane does not irritate God. It doesn't irritate God for you to bring those little moments to Him. He, he created those little moments. He cares about those details. And you see the compassion once again in this text of our Redeemer Jesus. You and I, we should not hesitate to bring those moments. Your mundane, small, little nothings, so to speak, to your Creator. I think one of the tricks of the enemy is that he begins to whisper in your ear. He begins to say, ah, this is just a little thing. This is something small. God, God doesn't really care about you. God doesn't really care about your little needs, which in return, you and I will not go to Him. You and I will not be in a prayer, wonderful, vibrant relationship with our Creator. And there are needs this morning that you have in your life that you've brought into a new decade you brought into a new year. You were, you, you, you were hoping those would have left you at 2019. You were hoping that that decade, whether it was good or bad, that, hey, that there's new things in the new year. And hey, I'm excited and fired up about that as well. But listen, you brought all those same things into this new decade and into this new year. And guess what? God wants to hear from you about those things. The smallest of cares in your life, Jesus would say, come, come, I care. I want to hear. I want to have a moment-by-moment, moment, mundane, day-by-day, 
walk in relationship with you. And what happens next should, if you've been with us in this journey uh, through uh, the book of Mark, honestly, it ought to be a little bit shocking. Because his disciples answer him in verse number 4, and his disciples answered him, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? You know what you ought to be saying? You ought to be saying, what? You know, how many magnanimous displays of God's care and, and power must you see? How could it be possible that they would ask this question again? But they do. These men seem to be so unprepared for service. But I've got to be honest with you, I'm comforted by the authenticity of this text. May I remind you that Mark would have been one of the disciples asking how are we going to feed these people? That right there will tell you that this is not a human book, that this is a divinely authored book, because I'll tell you what, if I was Mark, I wouldn't have put this bonehead question in again. But you see the authenticity of this story the authenticity of the text and being inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They're, they're, they're writing what truly happened in these disciples. Once again, they ask. And listen, this, is not a, this isn't something that necessarily should, should shock you because you and I, we do the very same thing. Often we ask the Lord the same questions all the time. New year, same questions. New decade, same questions. How many of you be honest, right? Absolutely. We're asking Him the same exact things. And you know what happens in this story here. Jesus, He takes the small amount of bread. He takes the small amount of fishes. He gives thanks. He breaks it. And boom, feeds thousands of people and brings up baskets. Seven of them in return of leftovers. I would ask you this morning, what are you unprepared for? What do you tend to wonder about? Do you wonder about the presence of the Lord and the compassion and the power of your Redeemer? Where do you wonder about His ability to guide you? Where do you wonder about His ability to provide for you in 2020? Where do you wonder about His willingness to meet your every need? See this text again. See these very human, mundane questions that these men are asking. And understand that, listen... You and I, we ask the same questions, but as you see in this text, God meets their need. God cares for these individuals that have been with Him all these times. Where do you ask the Lord questions that you should not ask? Because you really should be ready for them. Because you've seen His mighty hand over and over and over again. Hey, listen, you're here. It's 2020. You're, you're, you're still here. You're, you're still alive. You're, your family is still... Listen, He's seen you through year after year after year. Maybe your parent in 2020 walking down the hallway to deal with another one of those battles. You know what I'm talking about. And you feel like, man, i I got nothing left. It's been a long day. Do you pray? Or do you... Along the way, say things to yourself, forgetting the gospel that you've heard again and again and again, that Jesus is enough in you, that you have been fully equipped to meet the need of those children. Or maybe you're dealing with a boss that just makes your work life hard. Do you doubt the goodness of your Savior? 
Do you doubt His presence and His care? Do you doubt in those moments through that, that, that human man or woman that is making your life miserable? Do you doubt God's ability to give you the grace that you need to face another day? Listen, in Christ, He's enough. He is more than enough to sustain you for the days ahead. Maybe you just feel alone. Have you forgotten that you're never alone? Have you forgotten the Gospel truths that the Savior will always, always, always be with you? Or maybe you're facing areas of sin and you've told yourself that you're going you're gonna to gain victory in 2020. And we're five days in and maybe you've already fallen again. Are you tempted to give up? To quit? Just to give in to the sin and wonder if God's promises are really true to be able to get you out of that? You see, I think this morning if we were willing to be humble and to be honest, I think we're often like the disciples. Perhaps we, perhaps we ask the same questions. Perhaps we experience the, the same fears and there are, there are moments when we are hit with the same kind of doubt when by grace we've been all well prepared for the moments of our lives. Hear me. You're prepared for 2020 because you have Jesus. Hear me. That's actually enough. Because in Christ, you have all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Christ. (laughs) It's awesome. You have the wisdom. You have the grace. You have everything that you need to move forward. Oh, decisions lie ahead for your year. Absolutely. But in Christ and in His wisdom and in His Word, you have been equipped to go forward. And so that was the setup event. A feeding of a massive group of people. We've been there before, right? Set 5,000 plus last time. This one indicates 4,000. Same type of questions being asked. Like, yeah, God, yeah. same type of thing. We've been there. But the next thing you see is an encounter with the Pharisees. Now, you have to know what is happening by now if you've been going through this book. The Pharisees, they're, they're following Jesus Christ around. They're testing Him. They're evaluating Him. They're, they're, they're critiquing Him. They're trying to trap Him. They're literally His arch enemies of His work by this time. And the Pharisees, they come and they begin to argue with Christ. They begin seeking for Jesus to, to kind of give them a sign from heaven. And they do so to test Him. They're saying, hey, 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 show us something. Show us some kind of sign that will convince us. And what happens next is a very, is a very human moment. That's why I love, I love Mark's perspective. It's the very human side of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God all at the same time. And what it says is that Jesus, He hears their requests and he, and he sighs deeply. Look at verse number 11. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with Him, seeking of Him a sign from heaven tempting Him. And He sighed deeply in His spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. Now you and I, we know the dynamics of human uh, relationship, and you don't really need me to kind of tell you this, but I'm going to. If you come up to somebody, and you ask them a question, and they do one of these, (sighs) that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. There's probably not something positive that's going to happen next. 
And there is a way in which the sigh of Christ is an absolute rebuke of these Pharisees. Now I want to give you the background here. You don't get these details in Mark. And I've not referred to a lot of the other Gospels uh, in this particular study because I like the character of Mark. I've really, I've really attached myself to him. I like the importance excuse me, for us to kind of keep his paradigm as we're, as we're going through this study of the life of Christ. But the feeding of the 5,000, uh, John, he actually names that miracle as a sign. He, he actually calls it a sign. And in fact, John takes it even further as the crowd begins to pursue Christ and they, wanna, they literally want to make Him king. Jesus is like, hey, you don't want to follow me because of really who I am. You are just here because I filled your bellies. Because I, you know, I, you're no longer hungry. And Jesus says in John 6, verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Again, remember what these Gospels are. That's kind of like an intersection where a car accident maybe might take place and you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all kind of seeing it from different angles and that's why when you put them all together, you do kind of get a fuller picture. And so... John is telling us here what Jesus said. Mark doesn't record these a couple chapters ago when we were feeding the 5,000. He said, this miracle wasn't what brought you to me. This miracle isn't why you want me to be king. It's because I fill up your bellies. In verse 51 of the same text, it says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, can't you see it? I'm the sign. You're seeking a sign, but Jesus is saying, I'm the sign. I'm the, I'm the sign from the Father. I'm the, I'm the sign that you all are seeking. There's no greater sign, no greater anything than the glorious presence, compassion, and the grace of God. There's no greater sign of His willingness than to redeem you and me. Nothing. Nothing that He does in your little mundane, no need that He provides, no check that comes in the mail, no belly that is fold, is anything greater than God's redemptive plan to send Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the sign. Are you seeing it? You're looking for all these other things. That sign's not going to come to this generation. The Jews, they always wanted a sign. But that, that Gospel, it's transi- it will transition eventually to the Gentiles. And I loved how Andrew brought that out in his study of Ezekiel. Jesus is saying, I am the ultimate sign. Hear me. And what He's saying to the Pharisees here in Mark chapter number 8, He says, hey, if I'm not enough of a sign for you, nothing will satisfy you. Man, if Jesus isn't enough, that full belly is not going to be enough. It's okay. It's 2020. Hey, 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 if Jesus isn't enough, that full bank account's not going to be enough. Man, if Jesus isn't enough, when I have to take my van into the place tomorrow, yikes. Right? I'm kind of nervous, a little scared. But if Jesus isn't enough, 
Ah, there's just a little problem here. That's not going to be enough for me. That is why Jesus sighs deeply. God has harnessed all the forces of nature. He has literally controlled the events of human history so at a certain time His Son would come. That His Son would take on flesh and He would live a perfect life for you, a perfect life for me, and He would provide the sacrifice that the Father required. What more do you need than Me? Is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, He's like, I'm not going to get in your box. I'm not going to perform for you. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to adhere to your whims. I'm not going to adhere to your desires. What an audacious request to the Pharisees. He's saying, hey, show us, a, show us a sign so that we will believe. And Jesus says, I am your sign. Do you believe? Now, I, I believe it's easy for you and for me to kind of look at the Pharisees, certainly the way that I describe them, and distance yourself from them. But as I often have done in this series, we'll ask you to not do that. We too treat God this way. God has shown Himself to be true repeatedly in our lives, and yet we still hold Him hostage for what we want from Him. Often, if we're honest, and I don't mind being honest before you, we treat Jesus like a genie in the bottle. When we need something, when we when we want something in our life, when we, when, when, we, when we want something to change, and when we start doing, we start stroking those spiritual things. Hey, I'm praying, and hey, I'm reading the Word. By the way, praying and reading the Word is a good thing, right? But listen, it doesn't just get you know, our little genie cranked up. Coming off of a prolonged season of celebration, starting in kind of Thanksgiving and going through Christmas and now New Year's into this first Sunday of the year, I want to ask you a question. When you celebrate, why do you celebrate? Why? When you receive blessing from God, how do you define blessing? Be honest. What do you want from God? And the Pharisees, they, they wanted to say, what do you want from God? Or maybe let me put it a more provocative way and ask you it this way. What kind of Messiah do you want Jesus to be? I think many of us are not on Jesus' page. What we dream of and hope for is not the same as what He has promised us and worked so zealously for by grace to deliver to us. Perhaps many of us struggle with disappointment with God. Because at the street level, the mundane, moment-by-moment -moment days of our, of our lives, we don't esteem what God values. Could it be that many of us do not treasure what God has altered time to give you and delivering you in Jesus? Maybe many of us are actually wanting more than a redemptive work and plotting in our life, but instead, we want a Jesus genie who's going to make our year easier. Who's going to make our 
Maybe you would consider the decade, the last decade, a decade from hell to be more like heaven. We want it easier. We want more comforts. We want Him to obey every one of our commands for which, oh, we'll give Him thanks. We'll give Him glory for meeting our demands. Perhaps many of us want control more than we want the sanctifying work in our life. Perhaps many of us care, crave success more than we crave the sanctification work in our life. We're willing to do almost anything to be successful. Meanwhile, we neglect the things that God says have eternal value. Perhaps many of us esteem acceptance more than we esteem redemption. We find more joy in the acceptance of people around us. You listening to me? Than we do with the Creator of the universe. What do we want? What kind of of Messiah do we want? Do we want Him to maneuver us into the best position that Ryan thinks that he should be in? Perhaps many of us want material things more than we want what God desires to do in our hearts. We tend to judge the quality of our lives by the size of the piles of the stuff that we have. By the way, none of these things are wrong. Nothing wrong with stuff. Nothing wrong with acceptance. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Nothing. But it is wrong when our desire for them is above what God wants for us. So here's the game-changing question for us this morning. What set of desires rule your heart? Remember what sin does. Sin blinds us. So this is a question that every single person in here needs. Whether we've been in church for an hour and two minutes, this is the first time you ever walked into a church, or you've been into a church 50 plus years. Sin blinds us to even our ability to see that we're blind. What set of desires rule your heart? Let me ask it a different way. This is is important because the desires that rule your heart determine how you evaluate your life. So if your greatest desire and my greatest desire is for God to be king in my heart and in my life, then guess what? I'm going to let the king do whatever he wants in my life. But if my set of desires and the way that I evaluate how good and how great God is is based on my kingdom working, then guess what? 2020 is going to be no better of a year. This next decade that we've embarked upon that super excited for, man, listen, if Jesus isn't enough, if we've not placed Him up on our kingdom pedestal, King, then we're going to struggle. How you make small and large decisions. And most importantly, how you think about the goodness and faithfulness of God depends on what rules our hearts. So what rules it? This new year, go ahead and be thankful for success. Go ahead and be thankful for comfort. Go ahead and 
be thankful for material things that God has blessed you with. But more than that, celebrate the work that God is doing in your life. That He is producing in you. That beautiful, redemptive, continued sanctification work in your life. Rejoice in that. Your Lord is much more than just a genie. He's your sovereign Savior King. Is that how you see Him? Are you seeing clearly? We're, we're, kinda, we're done for this morning and there's, there's more in this text. And at the very end of it, He heals a blind man. And it's like just, just all of it just dovetails together. But how are you seeing Jesus? How do you see Him? If He's your King, you will allow Him in your life to do what is necessary. And even if it goes against your set of what you should have. Are we seeing clearly? God, help me to see what You desire for me to see. Every head bowed, every eye closed.